I'm here. I've been here. Brother, brother, <laughs> how are you? Hey now, Chris. What's going on, brother? It's good to see you, man. It's good to see you. I'm doing well. <laughs> Do you um, like the mood lighting I have? I have the Christmas tree in the background. I have the nice yeah. lights. Looks good. I feel like I'm going to get a some kind of reading. <laughs> I, what do you want me to read? Your palm, your feet? I'm a, I'm a great toe reader if you'd like to, to whip those bad boys uh, out. I think I've had as much superstition as I can take the past few years, you know. So. I believe it. You're just a little <laughs> stitious now? Yeah, just, just a little. You, you right. are a fan of The Office too, right? That's I'm a huge cool. fan. I have a huge Funko collection in my office of of office Funkos and it's a it's a mess. I put myself on a no Funko ban. I can't buy Funkos till the end of the year and they just released the Michael Scott as Jesus Funko on uh, funko.com and I so badly want to get it but I'm sticking true to my ban. Uh what office character is most like you in real life? I think people from college would say Dwight honestly to a degree uh I'd like to think Michael but I think there's some narcissism in the fact that I want to be the manager um yeah, yeah. I don't know Pro honestly probably Dwight is the closest if I had to guess just that that crazy you know I'm right. not as ruthless to my co-workers anymore um <laughs> but yeah probably Dwight that's why I hate Dwight that's why he's my least favorite character right ahead of Ryan and Gabe which character reminds you the most of me? <laughs> uh, Bob Vance from Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> you could definitely be a Bob Vance of something. I'm yeah. Jimmy Kennedy of of Kennedy Refrigeration. Come on. <laughs> yeah. The coolest man in town, Jimmy Kennedy. JBK on air, keeping you, you cool. Need, when you need an injection of cool, call JBK. You got it. That's all Always on air. Right. Um, right. <laughs> Hey, uh, folks, we are chronicling a very important episode. Uh, one of my good friends here, Chris Shoulders, formerly of the Chris Shoulders Show on WICR HD3, a uh, show that I was the executive producer of, and uh, we, we created a lot of content together. Uh, thinking back to that time, Chris, what are some of your favorite memories of uh, doing that program? Uh, we got in trouble a lot with it. I remember getting, <laughs> uh, we got kicked yeah. off the air a couple of times. And every every single time I got kicked off the air, I remember I cried in Scott's office and I got off easy. So it worked out well. You know, I'd always get like a three week suspension down to a one week because I shed some tears and I'd be like, you're right, Scott. I know I shouldn't have had baloney in the studio. I know I shouldn't have had that guy on talking about masturbation. I you know, it was very easy. Yeah. Uh, he's just, he's a sucker for crying. So if and now that he's retired, it's too bad. You know, no one can cry in his office anymore. <laughs> Uh, and get easy punishments can't pull that out uh as a ploy but uh i had the great fortune of booking interviews uh, that's mm -hmm. one of the duties that you stuck with me and two of them that we booked uh bill Levin, the grand poobah of the church of cannabis located in indianapolis indiana was one of our guests uh oddly enough you know, i think Andy was affiliated with the methodist church so <laughs> that was a testing decision on our our behalf it was. Uh, and, yeah. and at the time, I think the important thing, if you listen to the interview, we don't talk about marijuana at all, no. at all. It's all about his life where he went through as a concert promoter and working with the party bus and his story about now going on against Curtis Hill and everything. And then Mike Pence. I mean, this was during the election. We were coming up on the election and, and Mike Pence 
uh, that whole story because he ran against Mike Pence for governor in the state of Indiana. So yeah, did. yeah I mean, that was the, that was one of my favorite. I mean, that was the favorite interview I ever did. That was my senior project when I graduated. And oh, and I love the story when he brought up about Chooch, too. I always love having cool. an, an excuse to mention you and mention Chooch. Yeah, well, and, and Chooch also was a contributor when we uh, needed him to be one. We had a uh, win a date with JBK contest <laughs> during the program. Uh, and at one point, Chooch calls in and pretends to be a girl. We should have screened that call, but that was- Well, it's, it's a shame because he set that up with me before and we actually had a bunch of girls who called but we had to we had to say sorry chooch is calling already so jimmy's jimmy's off the market melissa melissa hello jimmy it's melissa (laughs) that was that was classic uh and you know uh i think one thing that made dad excited about it uh i'll mention it here i've mentioned it on different shows but I, i come from uh bob and tom you know growing up as a little kid being on uh hearing them in the morning i mean were they an influence on you or you were more Howard Stern only? <laughs> uh, Howard Stern really came later in college. You know, it was really all sports early on, but um, Howard Stern was more for content. I'd say people like Colin Cowherd, Rush Limbaugh, more delivery. Right. Uh, but I consume media really weird. You know, I just, I listen to four or five, six things at a time and watch a bunch. It's, it's in like intentional overstimulation. So I don't really, I, you know, I don't know if I have influences. I just kind of listen to whatever and then just bounced off a wall. What but, about JBK on air? Is that one of your podcasts that you're subscribed to? It is. I, it is actually. <laughs> I was listening to a couple episodes uh, earlier. So no, I, I, hey, the one with, um, who'd you had? Dr. Gobetz. Yeah. I listened to that. That was a really interesting interview. I remember he said something. He said, uh, he said, ignorance. What was it? You can't teach ignorance it's like you can't unteach ignorance or unfix ignorance (laughs) and it's just like it's true it's that's it's not the pro like there are too many stupid people in the world yeah well and uh i I think the most important lesson that i learned in college was from doc g which is Mm -hmm. going to college doesn't mean uh you know the right answer it means you know the right questions to ask and how to ask right so. Yeah, and I never, it was always a, uh, not a great sorrow of mine, but one thing that I always missed that I never had a chance to take a class of his, uh, just because oh, I was you? a little bit okay. younger, so I never yeah. had that opportunity, but I mean, everybody ahead of me, high words, high praise, you know, was one <laughs> well, of those guys. Um, this is getting into the minutia of the program, but one class that you had to take uh, to get your degree was uh, communication research methods. And anyone who's taken that, the terminology is a little bit different and it's like very specific. And I ended up taking it the year that Doc G retired. And I'm not saying he was light on us, but it made a, <laughs> it made a difficult class a little bit easier because he was in his last year. So dude, those four hundreds are brutal. All of mine were with yeah. Scott and he did not he did not hold back. He did not like four hundreds in comm classes at all. But you know what? Right. We had the easiest degree. We had the easiest major to pass. I'm not saying we have the most useless major. I'm not saying we have, you know, yeah. an easy major. We had the easiest major to pass. No doubt. Yeah. I, but I think <laughs> the ability to write is incredibly important. Like I, the amount yeah. of writing I did was extensive. Like when I think back, I can't believe how much I wrote. Uh, right. With how many papers there were week to week. You Do know? you read a lot? 
no see that's the thing yeah me I'm, a, I'm a gifted writer and not really much of a consumer from a reading I'm, i remember when i was a kid i was like at a 12th grade level by third grade and then i was like oh good i don't have to read anymore and then i just <laughs> literally never read a book again i don't remember the last book i read <laughs> are you an audiobook person Can no. you listen to someone no okay. no yeah i can't at all i thought that might be a career path for me you know narrating books and different things go through audible yeah they'll pay you a little bit for a book I, I gotta sit in my closet. That's like the most conducive for recording a book. Uh, What's wrong with that? I that's basically what I do all day. I just sit in my little office <laughs> in my cubby hole. Yeah, I sit in my closet. Literally, I put my sit myself in a dark room and just the dogs come in and out and just you know it's um, a little party. Yeah, let's get into that because uh, we're gonna be talking not exclusively about dogs, but a lot <laughs> a lot of uh, what you're involved with has to do with right. canines. Uh, you are now the Development coordinator at uh, Four Paws for Ability. Uh, tell me more about that job. So my main priority is social media, um, but I'm on the the, the, do, do, the donation side and the raising donation side. So you know my job is basically create content that will get people to either volunteer for us or to donate money at fourpawsforability.org. So as best as I can, I try and communicate to the masses that. You know, our mission is we breed, raise, train, place service dogs for children and veterans with disabilities, disabilities like uh, having seizures, autism, or kids elope or have meltdowns, type two or I forget, type one or type two diabetes, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but having dogs that can track that and track that scent and, you know, notify those veterans who come back with limb loss. Uh, so my, I do as best as I can to take the cutest pictures and find the you know, most touching, gripping stories and get people to go to fourpawsforability.org and donate to this, you know, incredible cause based out of Dayton. Um, But again, it was, it's just, it's one of those jobs where every day you kind of want to cry and you don't know if it's tears of sadness or if it's just like (laughs) incredible, like, wow, you know, this is a mission in action that is really bringing normalcy to people who have never had that in their life. What's the most rewarding part of the job? Uh, I feel, I don't know. I don't, I, cause it's, I don't work directly with the families. You know, I'm more kind of hear from them after the fact or communicate over email. Uh, I'm, I really came for the dogs. And I think most people will say that they came to four paws for the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I obviously don't want to speak for everybody, but then they always say they stay for the people. And, you know, the more interactions that I have with the people there and the stories that they tell, you realize just how similar everybody is. And, you know, in a world where we're saying we all have these disabilities, we're all struggling with these things. So mm-hmm. you just the, the, the families when you go to the graduations on, on campus and when you, you hear these families talk after they've been with the dog for 10 days, knowing that their future is locked, set in stone they have safety and security that they've never had. Once you, when you hear people communicate that mm-hmm. and who actually know what it's like to not have that safety and security net, I, you start to understand it a lot more. And, and, and it really, again, it pays off every month. We, we have 10 dogs graduate 120 a year. Um, that's 120 stories and families who, who have that security. So yeah. I may make a social media post that's random, but at the end of the day, the mission's growing and I play some part of that. How much uh, does it cost to train each dog? It's pretty expensive, right? 
it's a lot. So it can cost forty to sixty thousand dollars when you talk about vet costs, when you talk about um, all of the medications, when you talk about the food that's needed to keep them, plus the training and the housing and covering everything that would need for volunteers and gear, and mm-hmm. also working with families. So it begins to be forty to sixty thousand dollars. We ask uh, on our side, families cover half of that. So they'll use fundraising and they'll work with our fundraising team. And we have courses that can help them raise money and teach them how to raise $20,000. And, you know, $20,000 sounds daunting to a lot of families and it is to a lot of families. And then there are families who go on the news and all of a sudden they have $20,000 that they didn't have. And just like that overnight. And then they're, it's solved and they, you know, are put in place and they're, they're working with our team to figure out how we need to train a dog to best serve them. Is there a payment plan or it all has to be up front? It's, it's all up front. It's, I mean, you get involved in the process, you start, you know, working with our team to figure out what you'll need and then fundraising the money. So there's constant communication through the fundraising and you're in the process. Um, but you have to have the money paid for before you can get the dog. Um, what stories stand out to you as far as uh, positive impacts that you've seen from your job? Um, I don't know about, I mean, they're all incredible. The vet stories are, are really good too. You know, I know Tim, uh, Tim and Chesney is a really popular story of ours, uh, a veteran who, you know, came back, didn't realize just how much anxiety he had. And how much he was struggling coping with all of that. And literally one day he was at a Custer's, or a, a Ritter's frozen custard. And there was another vet who had a four paws dog who was there before, you know, Tim had ever heard of us. And the dog just laid on his lap. And Tim, you know, Tim's like, you know, what's what, you know, what the dog doing, you know, what's what's going on. And the vet's like, it, it senses the panic, you know, it senses the anxiety that you're feeling in this moment. And then the, you know, the social setting and told the whole story. And now, um, you know, he's, he's gotten through all of this and, and has this dog and this incredible relationship. And, right. um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just cool to see them all. How do dogs help your anxiety, Chris? I'm, I'm almost worried that it's becoming a problem. <laughs> I think they're actually causing a negative impact because I'm not being able to cope without them. Uh, <laughs> they, they do a lot for sure. Uh, the way they, I mean, if you think about the, you know, the realistic sense they can lay on your chest, you know, it's deep pressure therapy. It's going to calm you down naturally. I mean, dogs in general, we have facility dogs who will lay on, kids chests during you know examinations when they normally need anesthesia or not anesthesia um they need to be sedated and now they don't need to be sedated because the dog is laying on their chest so if you can think about the level of anxiety for a kid to not need sedation in a situation like that and i have four of it you know it's it does a lot for that and i think it's also just really rewarding to be able to see them grow see them evolve learn their personalities you know i'm a big picture taker i love taking pictures of them i love posting them on on instagram like crazy and it's so rewarding when i can kind of find a new angle you know and just really see how incredible or silly or beautiful or cute or dumb they look from this certain angle and (laughs) um but again just learning their personalities and seeing them evolve and seeing how they relate with each other 
I think that's just such a rewarding experience. And, and, you know, I mean, it's probably the same as what it's like to raise a kid and I'm ready to challenge anyone who says it's completely different than raising a kid, but it's, you know, it's a rewarding experience as a, as a parent to do that. (laughs) Well, uh, I think, uh, dogs are one of the few things in this world that are universally loved. Uh, go ahead and mention the names and breeds of your dogs so we can get a picture. We have four of them. We have about probably 275 pounds of dog in this of, in this household. We have uh, the youngest is Floyd. He is a chocolate labradoodle. And then he's the only boy. And then he's got three sisters. He's got Maggie. She's the oldest. She's a black labradoodle. Thelma Lou is our Bernadoodle. And Prudence Jude is our English setter. So we have a, a wide variety of them. Heavy and tall and strong and wild. They all get along. They do. They, they, I've, I've kind of like started looking into pack behavior and seeing how it works out. And it's just kind of funny, you know, just seeing the way they pick at each other and communicate to each other because they communicate a lot and they, you, you learn, you know, they're not just barking and yipping and sneezing. You realize, you know, when they're putting their paw here, when they're, you know, going, (laughs) like they're actually saying something so it's it's funny to watch the way they communicate but there's definitely uh some parental guidance that's needed some hey get off you know <laughs> snap get off the table i don't care who's at the door so but yeah they all get along great um i are, are they uh well behaved i mean do they do uh are they pretty low maintenance or do, do yeah. some dogs need more than others <laughs> some dogs definitely need more than others but once you kind of learn it you once you learn how to mitigate problems this is people say dogs have bad behaviors once you learn how to mitigate the behavior and you can mitigate a behavior it's like child proofing house uh you can mitigate behavior if it means putting it in a crate if it means training it for an hour a week which is really you don't need to train your dog that much to have it somewhat behave but yeah, three of them can be left alone at home for many hours at a time, not in a crate. One of them has to be left in a crate because she's very prey-driven and will bust through the glass window if she sees a squirrel. That's Prudence Jude. She she busted through our wooden fence the first week we were there, like our you know six-foot-tall wooden fence and was just out. And there was no way to get back in either, so she's, a, she's crazy. But they're all well-behaved. They're just a little puppyish sometimes well and you're uh you're living with Paige now are you able to uh have a date every once in a while i mean like you said having dogs is like having children that has to complicate yeah. things. yeah we are you know we can it's not necessarily like we can do long weekend trips but movie we can go to the movies no problem i mean we can leave them we can go to concerts in columbus go to concerts a couple hours away and then come back you need to leave for night we have friends so it's not it's not a big deal i know you know my, my mom called me the other day and she was like i'm just worried that you know you're you're getting all these dogs and you're not going to want to come home and i'm going to be like what well, would be I, I can bring the dogs home right and she's like uh <laughs> so you know people will bend i've learned that that she will i'm making her bend so we're bringing three dogs to christmas (laughs) i don't think i've told you this story yet but uh in order to avoid causing me trauma uh related to losing a dog chucha marie bought me a wooden dog (laughs) that would make a sound as you walked it yeah 
<laughs> did it, it, was, it did it could you rock it too did they get you a rocking dog it, like it had a it had a leash brother it, was, it helped oh me walk God. you know it was all part of the therapy process but uh mm-hmm. i'm saying it's it's sort of uh traumatic to to lose a pet and i, know I mean i know you've yeah. gone through that multiple times yeah it was i mean the funny one was when it first happened when i was a kid and i lost honey my toy poodle so Obviously, I have four dogs now. I've had, you know, in my life about 10 dogs total. There's probably more than that. And then Honey was the first one, though, just a little toy poodle. She, uh, the day before the last day of fifth grade, uh, I remember we came home from my Little League game and it was late, so I couldn't let her out. So my Mm -hmm. parents let her out. And the next day I found out that she had gotten ripped up and eaten by a raccoon. And that became the comedy of my life. That was the joke that I had. Once I lost weight too, and I couldn't make fat jokes about myself, my dog got eaten by a raccoon. Like it was just a great joke that I had. It was just so funny to me that this little two pound dog, it was just a bizarre way to go. I never saw the body. You know, my mom just explained that they brought her over and then, you know, took her and got her buried. So I never saw it. Um, And then, yeah, I never had a dog again until I met Paige. And now I've had a ton of dogs. What changed? Uh, I met one. Maggie was Maggie was a big one um, of all the dogs. She was the first one that I really latched onto. And it was strange because I was always scared of big dogs. I thought that if when they jumped on me, I don't know, I was used to having a toy poodle. So she was fragile because she got ripped up by a raccoon. So imagine what a big strong burly man like I could do and then Maggie over here is 80 pounds and she's jumping on me and I'm like oh my gosh you know you're a toy poodle and it just ends up hurting both of us so and I got bit by a dog too when I was a kid I still have scars on my arms I probably have that you know had that trapped in the back of my brain somewhere um but no Maggie I remember there was something about her she really seemed underappreciated like people love the doodly doodles and the cuddly soft petty dogs and she is a shaggy shedding dog and obviously her family loves her to death but I just started feeling that release of anxiety I started because she was so scared too at first she was so scared of people she has such high anxiety so the ability to break into that and gain her trust and learn that okay she's scared of this and she needs this type of comfort and this type of physical touch and this type of speaking she needs me to speak this way okay I understand that I'm scaring her in this way so once I started learning how to break down those barriers and communicate like literally without words because she's a dog um I started to see the love that they could communicate back Mm -hmm. and it just really, it really set in and it really took off from there. So we're communication majors and I think, you know, you'd be surprised how antisocial some uh, communication majors are, but how uh, has your relationship with dogs improved your relationship with people? If at all, Uh, I think it's been the biggest change, you know, it was strange. So when we, I think losing dogs was the biggest part. Um, once we started putting the dogs down a couple years ago, <laughs> okay, let me, I, we don't have some kill shelter. Uh, we, we lost four dogs within the span of a year. And that was a time too, where a lot of stuff started falling apart personally for me. 
And I just, I remember when we start, yeah, I remember we put down the first one, Rico, um, in October. And then our second, we, we ended up quote unquote replacing Rico, not replacing Rico, but we got an Irish doodle uh, right at the beginning of January of 2022. And, and uh, her name was Gertie. She was six months old. She was the pick of a litter from a, from a breeder decided that they couldn't take care of her anymore and gave her to us. Um, so we took her and had her for four months. She got spayed. When she got spayed, it triggered this little spot, you know, assist on her heart. And it was like, Hey, it's filled up. If you know, we can cut it off, but it's going to cost $7,000 and there's a chance that it's going to refill again. And there's a chance that she's going to die when we cut it off anyway. So uh, we chose to put her down and it was at a time too, where I felt like life was just crumbling completely personally, emotionally with my family. And I had lost my uncle and I had lost Rico and now we just had Gertie and it was strange. Um, I remember Gertie was a therapy, was being trained to be a therapy dog for kids with disabilities. So was, you know, a big motivation for why I have the job now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I put so much because I was really learning that the, the love that you could give to dogs and the love that they could give to you and just learning that. And I had so much time with her in that four months to just unload my pain on her. Mm-hmm. And at the time it really just felt like I was receiving the love of a dog. Um, but then all of a sudden when you're an insane OCD maniac, like I am, and you've had all of this trauma and this pain and you've already lost one dog. And this seems like such a, such a meaningless dog, like such a meaningless death. Um, one that just couldn't be excused at all. You start going through that. And I started blaming myself and saying, you know, it's because I, you know, she's being trained to be a therapy dog and I wore her out before she could ever actually help anybody. You know, it's my fault that she's dying because I'm, I'm the black cloud in her life. You know, it's, it's, and you really start to blame yourself for that. And um, I remember when we put her down, I didn't, you know, I don't think I cried for a couple weeks when we put her down. Um, I think I was so numb at the time and I didn't really know how to process death because I'd never really processed death. You know, I'd never cried at a funeral before in my life. I still have never cried at a funeral. Um, I don't know. I've never, I've never cried over the death of a person actually, to be honest, which is, which is strange. Yeah. Uh, but I remember when I started looking at why she died i was starting to process it and then we put down another dog immediately Mm. like a couple weeks later so now we're at three dogs i haven't even processed this one and now another dog's dying and i'm at a dead-end job i'm i'm completely miserable you know i'm working telesales and i said you know i gotta get out of this I can't be doing this. It's, it's just too much. And then we got another dog and then we got her sister, which was Thelma Lou and uh, Ivy Quinn. And I just, Mm -hmm. you know, it was at a time where 
I knew that I was going nowhere, but it was because I needed to process life. It was because I was going through so much pain. I couldn't understand anything. Um, but I started to look at the way and the reason why Gertie died, our Irish doodle. And I started to process, you know, when you ask your, you know, I'm someone who locks myself in a room. I say, why'd she die? Why'd she die? Why'd she die? And I say, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. And I started to understand loss more and breaking off parts of myself and losing parts of myself and losing Gertie and losing Rico and losing Ferky and eventually losing Ivy and losing Honey at some point, losing people in my life. And you, the pain, the pain wasn't so much in the loss of the life. It was really the loss of the characteristics, especially of Gertie. Mm -hmm. Gertie was the reason I started taking as many pictures of dogs that I do now um because she was the first dog that I really it just caught my eye how beautiful she was and how perfect and pure as an animal that she was and when I started to have to understand her death and process it and catch up with life I had to really bear it on my sleeve that the only thing that's going to be lost is her characteristics and I can fill that void by taking on those characteristics that she had. Mm -hmm. It's when you lose a person, when you lose somebody, you know, you really think about, again, just what's lost from the world. But I thought about Gertie and how playful she was. I thought about Gertie and how she just wanted to smile. I thought about Gertie and how she just wanted to cuddle and relax and, I knew with how much I had lost, I just had to take on who she was and I had to take on her legacy and really, really try and be, you know, destroy the bad parts of myself and, and try and be a dog, I guess, in a way, you know, try and be silly and be goofy and just, you know, be pure and wear that pain at the same time as, as, you know. Yeah. A mark of Gertie as a mark of all the dogs as a mark of, of everything. Well, I mean, uh, with all that being said, uh, you know, have you found that love again in other dogs that you see or ones that you may want to bring into the family? I try to, I mean, I, I absolutely do. It's, yeah. but it's more of a mission to try and make up and try and, carry on that legacy right you know it's it's you know always trying to fill that void and um you know it's a it's a mission of mine it's a mission of Paige and and mine and you know our long-term plans are to open up a rescue ranch Gertie's garden and rescue ranch mm -hmm. um but yeah you know we have we have our four dogs and There'll never be another Gertie, but there's one Prudence Jude, there's one Thumalu, there's one Floyd, there's one Maggie Ray, and and being able to see um, their personalities play out is is just incredible. Do you consider your dogs your children? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, a hundred percent. Take care of them like it too. I feed them well. We feed them well. <laughs> Paige Paige mostly cooks. I'll cut the veggies every once in a while, but we feed them well. What's a typical diet you follow, man? Uh, going back to our time in college, one thing that always stuck out about you is 
how much time you spent in the gym and <laughs> how much you took care of what you ate. <laughs> yeah, I'm at a point now, uh, I've always had an eating disorder since I lost the weight. Obviously, you know, you know, I was 265 pounds. I lived a completely sedentary lifestyle when I graduated high school. And the day, uh, the day of graduation, I had a panic attack was what it was, but I thought I had a, a vision from God um, and just understood that I had to lose weight or I was going to die and lost a hundred pounds. Basically, I really lost, it was like 75 pounds in three months. So everyone from high school, you know, didn't know who I was when I was in college now. Yeah. And everyone from college had no idea who the kid in my Facebook pictures was. Um, but it ended up being a hundred pounds in six months. I got down to 165 and was completely anorexic. So yeah, I don't work out three and a half hours a day to four hours a day. Cause that, you know, I'm aware that that is not good for the human body. Um, I mostly like to run lifting. Lifting's kind of fun, but it's just not, I don't want to be all bulky cause I'm very self-con. I feel chubby all the time. I feel chubby constantly. I'm at a point I'm forcing myself to eat three meals a day. And when I get to the eating lunch feels like a sin. Eating lunch feels like a sin to me. I feel like I'm eating too much. I had three meals today. I'm mad. At, I'm, I'm frustrated and angry at myself that I had three meals. But you know what? Those three meals were probably less than 1,500 calories combined. You know what? I want you to eat three meals a day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't promise you that. I'm trying. I don't like eating. I had, it's a real problem of mine. Yeah. The problem with me is that I've had so much stuff that nothing sounds good anymore. Yeah. Like I, I've had it all, you know, like nothing is like, Oh boy, I need to have that. I was going to ask you uh, when you were at your fattest. Okay. Yeah. What was the guilty pleasure? What was the thing you would indulge in? Uh, it was mostly salty foods. I was a very salt. I've never been a huge sweet tooth guy. I'm still not. Um, but salty foods, fries, my, my go-to Friday night dinner was an entire $5 pepperoni, hot and ready little Caesars pizza and a half gallon of white milk. Swear to God, <laughs> Friday night Smackdown was on. It was a $5 hot and ready. And it was a half gallon of milk. If the Colts were playing on Sunday night football, $5 hot and ready. And what was I drinking for milk, Jimmy? I was drinking milk. That's what I was drinking. Holy I'm so crap. excited. I mean, I love milk. It's my favorite thing to drink. Again, give me, uh, maybe you mentioned this. What what yeah. type of milk are we talking about? 1%, 2%? Uh, Paige prefers 1% in the house. I would probably lean towards 2%. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I remember when I was, when I was really getting into extreme dieting in college, one thing I saw was a lot of bodybuilders will drink a gallon of whole milk a day. Holy crap. Yeah. Like power lifters, a gallon of whole milk a yeah. day, a gallon of water sounds awful. I can't imagine the amount of weight I would gain if I drink a gallon of water. So restricting my water tomorrow. So I don't gain any weight. Yeah. So you, you wouldn't be able to cut out dairy. That's one way that people no. lose weight quick. If I got lactose intolerant, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I have, so much sympathy for those who are lactose intolerant. Um, you have a favorite pizza place in Ohio that I should try when I'm there? Uh, no, 
Oh, yes. Yes. Columbus. Plank's Pizza. Plank's Pizza in Columbus. If you ever go, it is by a Nationwide Children's Hospital. I think that's the correct one. Nationwide Children's Hospital. Plank's Pizza. They have sweet crust pizza. So you don't need to get any fancy toppings. Let the crust be the magic. Just get a pepperoni. Just get a cheese <laughs> or a sausage. And it is just the most delicious. And you can get it uh, to go. So Paige and I will like go. We'll get a couple of pizzas that are raw. We'll put one in the fridge. We'll cook one that night. And then... Well, how, I mean, it's so, yeah, Plank's Pizza, Plank's right. Pizza and Cafe in Columbus. Um, also, I have to ask, since you mentioned Columbus, uh, are you a, are a, are you a Ohio State fan at this point? You know, I'm a Kentucky fan and I love my yeah. Kentucky fandom. Um, I'm actually, I told Paige, I said, you know what? The Colts are such a joyous team. And they're my connection to grandpa. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a fun Colts fan. I'm always going to be happy and upbeat at Colts games. You know, Gardner Minshew, woohoo. You know, Anthony <laughs> needed that shoulder surgery, but with, I said, I told Paige, I said, you know, with Yankees baseball and Kentucky basketball, I'm going to be angry. And then you know what they do? They go and lose to an unranked team. Those stupid Kentucky Wildcats. What a joke of a franchise. What a joke of a, I would, you know what? We need to get back to the days where we illegally pay players because that's when Kentucky was great. <laughs> um, but I do, I appreciate the fandom that Ohio State football has. I think Ryan Day is a child and is a, is should not be the coach at Ohio State. I'm glad Jim Harbaugh won. Former Colt, go Colts. Whoop, whoop. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think whatever's been going on with Michigan is a joke. So I'm a level-headed, rational Ohio State Buckeye fan. Yeah. I will support them. I'm going to quote Doc G again. I thought this was brilliant. He said that unless you have a degree from the institution, you aren't allowed to root for them. So I kind of have that mentality now that I'm older. It's not that I don't care about college sports. I'm just not invested, you know? Yeah. I know. Well, I'm, I'm not invested after they lost. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the problem with college football too. It's like one loss and that's really all that you're, allowed to have in order to get yeah. the playoff the way it's structured but um is there anything else you want to get to man well, we, we've gotten to a lot already but uh, oh. how have you been i've been good you know yeah just working uh on this the this, this show and um you know when we started the program <laughs> i'll mention that uh i i interviewed noel castler as my pilot debut show. And I remember talking to you and being like, yeah, I think I'm just going to interview people that I want to talk to. And you're like, no, go all the way to the, you know, all the way to the left and do the political thing, which I ended up doing anyway. Um, But I'm kind of glad that, uh, you know, the show has turned into a kind of a documentation of uh, interviews of people that are part of my life. I think that's more interesting. I agree too, you know, and I, I came around to that when I started doing all my dog photography, I caught dog photography. I take pictures on an iPhone for 15 minutes and then play with them for a 45. Um, <laughs> and then when I, I'll get, you know, I'll just get bored one night at, you know, three in the morning, four in the morning and write a poem with it. That's just bizarre soliloquies of nothingness. Um, but I, I saw the value of just having that creative outlet that's just completely untethered to anything other than, you know, you and your heart and who you are and what you want to communicate and just the value of having it. And because and, I was watching it play out in my own life. Um, yeah. And I just, yeah, it, it makes me so. I remember when you were, I just, 
because you thought about moving away from the career at one point. And I just said, well, you can change your careers. Just keep doing the podcast. Like do something creative for free. That's the most important thing is do something that is creative, that does not need a hashtag, does not need a follower. That, I mean, really is just untied to anything. It's just, and yeah, I'm someone who's manic when it comes to an audience and I'm just always conscious of, I feel I can't go out in social settings because I feel like I have to perform my, you know, I hate <laughs> going out with a friend group because I feel like, oh my gosh, they're going to expect me to do something wild and zany and say something <laughs> off the wall. Or they're going to expect me to be upbeat when I'm feeling sad. And they're going to be mad when I say something zany and off the wall. Um, I don't even know what we're talking about. But I just love the fact <laughs> that you had you had that creative outlet where you could be you. And I think that, you know, I see the value in that. And, and yeah. it's good to have that. And it makes me so happy that you have that too. What you were talking about reminds me of a story that Conan was t- talking to might have been jeff ross or something he was at like a six-year-old's birthday party and he felt the pressure to perform and after he got done at whatever the thing was for a group of six-year-olds he's like i didn't feel that that wasn't very good (laughs) (laughs) there are always those people that are like criticizing themselves and um is that part of the joy in being in the business is like the the way you blame yourself and criticize your own work <laughs> yeah it's funny i remember because I, I started i read uh, a couple chapters of a book and then didn't finish it uh originals by adam grant and it was one, one thing he just talked about was most creative people have no clue what is going to be successful they have no creative types creative people originals have no ability to actually know what of theirs is going to be good there is such an emotional bias and I just like, it's so true. Like I, I could predict as much as I wanted what's going to be a home run post. I have no clue. And every time I do predict, I am off. Every time I say, this is, this is the 600 like post. Better watch out. Or I'll say, you know what? This picture, this is the best one. And then, you know, the one that I literally stuck at the bottom is the one that gets seven likes. Or this post that I thought was nothing gets, you know, 800, 900 it's the self-criticism is fun just because it makes you feel good to put yourself down uh it allows you to wallow in self-pity but um yeah there's no ability to really understand what's going to be good and what you what you know what um what are your suggestions on how to build a following in 2023 it's kind of difficult these days i would think it is, uh, and it seems like the way to do it is to somewhat sell your soul. Um, yeah. I think there's effective ways to do it, especially like in the marketing sense of learning what social medias are strong and what post types are strong, like understanding what type of post is going to perform well on what social media, knowing that I can make a video that's a TikTok and an Instagram reel, and it's going to perform great on those two, but get you know, five likes on Facebook, just being cognizant of those things. Um, you know, does that I, ever get exhausting, Chris? Cause yeah, a hundred percent. That's why I have to have a creative outlet that is literally tied to nothingness where I can just expunge whatever is pent up inside me. My boss told me the other day, she said, cause she was talking to me about getting more creative on our TikTok account. And she goes, I know you can be more creative, 
I've, you know, I've seen the work you do. I know you can go more creative. And I said, you got to understand there's a part of me that I have to lock inside of a box. There's a part of me that literally, and it's, it's not because it's dark. It's not because it's evil. It's not because it's unsafe. It's just, it's, it's nothing. It's just a, it's just a vortex. It's just, it's OCD thought spirals. It's, you know, wherever it's going to go. And sometimes, and in those thought spirals and in those crazy weird moments, the most beautiful thoughts, tear jerking moments come, but it's not something to paint on a wall unless, you know, I'm going to do it on my Instagram account at Barks and Rec uh, and just write random poetry on it. See, I was naive enough to think that I, I might possibly be on Monday Night Football, ESPN. Yeah. Uh, you make make the big time, be on a big network, and and be happy. Um, although I, I've discovered it doesn't really matter what level you get to; it's the same crap at each yeah. stage of the game. I heard a really interesting conversation. It was Nick Wright and Colin Cowherd were doing a podcast. If you want to talk about people I listen to, um, and. Nick brought up the question of, he said, I wonder how many people in our industry, and I love how we can say we're colleagues of Nick Wright and Colin Cowherd, but they were doing it on the, this was on the Volume Network podcast. So this wasn't network TV. This was YouTube podcast. Same level as us right now, bud. Uh, Brought up the fact of how many broadcasters, people in TV, you know, people in local mid markets. I mean, think about you right now. If, if you as a radio broadcaster were in Milwaukee at, mm. at a full-time job with a two year agreement, like how, wouldn't you be like really, really, really excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and think about how many people who are at that level or even above us. And really, I mean, it's a miserable job when you look at the existence, when you look at the turnover, when you understand just how bad it's getting, people getting laid off, whether it's at, I mean, at any network group, the bigger you get, the more money you make, the more like you're going to get laid off. But how many people who are at that level and don't like what they're doing anymore, don't like being stuck in the spiral, but because they're at that level, they could never, ever take remove the ego and say, I don't need to be on media anymore. I can survive in another career field. Well, it's not the same thing. Okay. We're not, not, we're not going off the, the top rope and, and taking steel chair shots, but it's similar to, I think being a pro wrestler, you know, a lot of times when you're a broadcaster, that's all that you've ever done. And that's, a, that's in my case, you know? So I think a lot of people who are in this career going back to the, you know, early eighties, uh, when that's not there, you when you don't have a show uh, to pour your thoughts into, uh, you kind of get lost periodically, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was a tough transition for me too, getting out of radio. Um, it was one, it was weird because I remember graduating, I was like, God, it's so hard to get into radio. And then I remember when I made the decision to leave my radio job. So I, I lost my first radio job. Uh, in the middle of COVID. And then I left my second radio job when I was working at corporate radio. Um, I left it. They gave me a full-time offer. The full-time offer was a miserable contract. That was just, you know, Mm. no, no fault to their own. That's just the way corporate broadcasting works. Uh, You know, I chose not to take it, worked there a couple weeks longer and then moved into sales. And it was strange. I was like, when I got into sales, I was like, I'm never going to be able to get back into radio again because radio is this closed knit club. You leave it, you leave it. But, you know, you you turned your back on radio, you turned your back on broadcasting. 
Um, unless you want to be, you know, the part-time guy, you know, every small town radio station is hiring the $10 an hour part-time guy to run it. And, and, uh, (laughs) but I realized I wasn't able to get into marketing was the difficult part. Nobody trusted radio background going into marketing. And when I was in sales, I remember I applied for a marketing job and got to the last interview and lost out because I didn't have a traditional marketing degree. I lost out to a new college grad because I didn't have a traditional marketing degree. So someone who had had a decent sales record, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. I hit goal and um, had radio background, had social media manager, you know, had all these different things, just wasn't they because they want traditional marketing. So I had to get back into radio. I had to take up from the most miserable job I've ever had. Uh, get back into radio and do promotions so I could say that, hey, you know, I can do Google Analytics. I can work an Excel spreadsheet. You know, I'm not an idiot. I know how to do marketing. And then I got really lucky with the job I have now to break back into it, to break into marketing. Can you learn that marketing stuff online? You could, I mean, I'm sure it, here's what I'll say. It's mostly common sense. Um, if you know any stuff with communications, but like career certificates, things like that, looking for jobs, if you want to get entry-level jobs that show analytic work, that show that basically that if you can transition ads into sales and you can show that you can analyze an audience is good. Right. But yeah, well, career but that- certificates I almost did at one point, but then, you know, again, I got lucky to break into a career without needing to take one of those. And forget my ignorance, but uh, analyzing an audience would be similar to the audience profile we would do at ICR. Uh, more like Nielsen ratings. So you're more reading the data. So you're taking the, you know, here's your cum, here's your blah, 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 here's your blah, blah, blah. I thought about, I mean, think about a, I've done, you've done market research where you say, here's the radio stations, here's their, you know, coverage wow. area, here's their competitors. It's, it's all the same stuff. You know, it's all the okay. same stuff you learn. It's I was just, just trying to get title. context of like what yeah. you're analyzing. Exactly. No, I mean, really what I'm doing is the same thing I've always done in oh. term. I mean, aside from being on the radio, um, is the same thing I've always done. It's just instead of saying radio stations or saying listeners, I'm saying dogs and donors. <laughs> Very cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to... Um... Document two, and, and I've done this on several other shows, but I only want to get your opinion on it. Um, WICR was a jazz format. Uh, that's not one that you get a lot of 20 year olds listening to, but um, very privileged to have had my training with that format because it's a, it's a good foundation of music to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I hated the way that I approached being a DJ. Um, I've learned now in my later years as an elder statesman that I'm much more of a a calm talker. I mean, even in college, I talked fast, but I naturally had like a lower, smoother delivery. Because when I talked fast and would get excited, my throat would get tight and then I would start to sound like a little boy and it just kind of got annoying. And I've really just kind of always had this kind of slow, calm speaking sense. And I wish I had stayed in like a jazz or a nighttime type slow music format the classical i remember those classical morning drive shifts were great you know the 
you know, the classical music ends. Michael Toulouse says his little piece, you know, I'm Michael oh, Toulouse. Yeah. This is classical music alive. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you go, Chris Shoulders, 88.7 WICR, the diamond. It's 64 degrees right now in Indianapolis, 15 <laughs> minutes past the hour. That's One right. incident on 465 eastbound at the turnpike at I-65. And that should be a good commute for you on I-47. You know, whatever it is, and it seems back to the music. It's so great on a different kind of public radio. <laughs> it, it's having the time. Gotta remember, gotta remember those lines, man. I'm at ease, baby. That's. that's but I should have. I should have stayed in that. You know, I've thought about because we actually we live. It's funny. The house we bought is like a mile, not a mile. I can see the radio tower. I pointed at a non-existent window. That's a TV. We can see the radio tower of my first radio station job, my PTW job. I can see the tower from our backyard, like. I could run there and it's less than a quarter mile. So I've always thought, I wonder if I could just go do an evening shift and just, just for the heck of it, every once in a while, I'm yeah. sitting here and just do like a, just do an eight to midnight, do a nine to midnight, hop on. Hey, well, PTW listeners. I talked to uh, Kayla Sullivan again. She had her second appearance on the program. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we first talked, she had left CBS four and was not going to go back to television I'm done with the industry. <laughs> now she's back with Wish TV uh, doing amazing things. Um, I know you have vowed to never return to radio, but uh, it, could it be in the cards in the future? No, um, no, not at all. I've, I, my last major radio job was just, it was the worst experience of my life professionally <laughs> okay. for a number of reasons. And I really don't want to delve into why they were so bad. I will off the air, you know, <laughs> and I, I, I will to anyone who wants to ask off the air, but it, I remember at one point there was an opening for a morning show gig and like at the same station, I was already there. Like it would have just been something I could have transitioned into. Um, I had the experience. I was in the building and I'm not saying I would have been a lock for it. You know, let's not sit here and pretend like I'm the greatest DJ alive. Uh, (laughs) But I just, I remember I was, I don't want to be on the air. I don't want to talk about myself. You know, I don't, I'm at such a point where my story isn't about me. My story is about, you know, the dogs, my story. I don't, and no one wants to hear me talk about dogs every single break. I hated, I hated being on radio and always having to create, like, it's fun to create, but it's exhausting to create. Mm. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, I have the creative capacity to create 31 posts a month, creatively, interestingly enough, to some degree, I'd like to think, um, but man, especially once you're on the radio too, and you're stamping your own name to it, like I, I'm sitting here making stupid jokes. Like you can't even say anything on the radio anymore, and no one's even listening. Like, why would you put yourself up through that? And it's yeah, I don't know. I don't like talking about myself. I don't like I don't like talking, and and but I will <laughs> if you get me talking. So you're saying that's, this on a podcast, so you don't like. I know. Talking. Yeah, I'm just telling you that should tell you how much I love you, bud. Uh, <laughs> that's real love. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I'm happy that you are uh, the development coordinator at the job that you are now. Uh, you seem pretty fulfilled, but is there something that you haven't accomplished that you want to in the future? Um, I mean, I remember I'll, I'll never be fulfilled, and I think I'm at a point, and I don't, I don't, I'm filled like with 
my family and in terms of having a love life with Paige and with these dogs and living here, like I'm fulfilled, but in terms of work, in terms of creatively, in terms of trying to grow whatever Gertie's garden and rescue ranch is going to be one day to try and tell every story of every dog I possibly can to try and mentally in some way make up for the deaths of these dogs that I didn't cause, but I tell myself I do every day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky that not only can I tell a love story to Gertie and to Rico and Ivy and Fergie on my own page, I can also somewhat tell their story through my job because it's service dogs, you know, it's not completely the same, but Ivy and Gertie were being trained to be therapy dogs for kids with autism. And, um, so I can, I can professionally and I can personally make up for that and, and tell that love story. Um, so I'm at a position to be as fulfilled as I can. And I love that I get that chance every day. And I have a plan to, to keep growing that as I, as I get older and Paige and I grow old together. That's, that's beautiful, buddy. Uh, let me give you some advice that I should give myself. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't blame If yourself. I'm not, I'll become complacent if I do. Well, I'll be, I'll become complacent. And I do need to go to therapy. Actually, I'm, I'm starting back therapy at the beginning of the year. Um, I went for one session, found out I had OCD, said, great, that's awesome. I know that I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, I learned how to stop all my rituals that are bad habits and avoidance. And now, uh, well, I was cured of my rituals and now I'm having thought spirals and panic attacks in stores. So we're getting back into therapy. <laughs> Do you want to document any of those episodes here or no? Um Okay. I fainted at a well, I fainted a few different times. I fainted at a Walmart. That was the first one. That was because everything was going on with the dogs dying and if with family. And I had had 2,000 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> so three cans, three cans of soda, a pot of coffee, a large coffee, and like two and a half scoops of pre workout in a day. And Thelma had to be taken, rushed to the vet because she was pooping blood. Um, I fainted into a, a Walmart wall, paid off that hospital bill today, finally, because I went to the emergency room, found out that I was fine. Uh, I just had too much caffeine. And then I fainted at a TJ Maxx because I hadn't eaten for three days. Basically, what happened was I remember I'm walking and I'm just kind of like, I need pages in front of me. I said, I think I need something to eat eat and she handed me like literally she's pulling out these chocolate cookies and as i go to reach them i the world just goes black but i wake up my knees are bent like this my feet caught like into my back and i had cracked my skull on the floor and then uh i got up had some pita chips and we went and looked at a couple houses and then um I, I, I've had, I had a scare the other day. It was really strange. This is what I was talking about being, I think I used the dogs too much. I had a scare at Home Depot because, so I decided to bring Floyd to Home Depot with me. I never bring dogs with me to Home Depot. I never bring dogs out where I think there's going to be people ever. I'll take them to the park privately where I don't think I'll see anything but deer, skunk, and raccoons. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's, it's just because we have four dogs. We don't need to have the problem. I took Floyd to Home Depot with Paige. We were looking at freezers. And at one point, I went to go get some 
some supplies and I left Floyd with Paige and literally just sitting in an aisle. Floyd wasn't there and it was just like panic started setting in. I was fine. Like I was just standing there. I had eaten. I had my water. But just this horrified panic sets in and um, called Paige and Paige rushed over with Floyd and she was like, you are (laughs) white as a ghost and your back is soaked. And, you know, we walked and checked out. So didn't have a scare. You know, we didn't have a a bad episode, but two, I mean, moments like that for me also create so much empathy for my job. (laughs) If I want to make the silver lining out of it, I can say... I know what it's like to have that fear of going into a grocery store and knowing that pain of not feeling safe, not feeling safe out in public of knowing what it's like for those families. And that's rewarding for my job to, to know that I can empathize with them on that. And I don't talk about it. You know, it's really embarrassing that I, as a completely healthy adult, am in situations like that but yeah. you know i can empathize with them and and i think it also you know it's given me a good perspective to keep telling their stories um buddy i'm thrilled that you're with Paige. that you've found your family found some internal peace um when's the wedding am i gonna make the cut she said a five or a zero so i'm assuming if i don't propose by 2025 2030 um so if you can make it to 2030, you're, you'll definitely be invited at 2025. Uh, I'll let you know, but you may, you could, you could, you might make the groomsmen cut. Don't be surprised. We never know. We could elope too. Yeah. That would be my recommendation. Get married at a courthouse and then have a party. You know. Yeah. I think we want to do something, but we'll figure it out. No one needs to know. No one needs to give me any advice on a wedding. Um. Not that you would want it, but uh, I do have a full set of Chooch and the Enchanters that was done live that we could play at your wedding. That way Chooch gets sure. to play at your wedding. Uh, Heck yeah. And uh, I want to document this for me uh, just because I, I remember it. Um, Chris, thank you for uh, coming to Chooch's celebration of life, man. Um, you know, I, I really... When you think of uh, your dad's funeral, his celebration of life, you would think that's uh, one of the worst days of your life. And in some cases it was just because I have to begin to accept that. But um, having you there and all all the other love that I received that day made it a lot easier. So I just wanted to say thanks again. I've always I've always questioned. I always sit here and wonder if I'm a bad friend to people. Uh, Cause I just don't talk, you know, I, I live in my little closet. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's always important when it's important to someone to be there. And I intentionally leave everything off my schedule for moments like those. Cause I knew it was important. And you got to meet Paige that day too. And that was yeah. the first day Paige ever had uh, Mrs. Curl ice cream. So uh, <laughs> it was a great day all over and lots of celebrating. It was a learning experience for everybody. Um, Chris, is there anything else you want to add? To this? I love you. I love you too. Thank I hope you you're doing me. well. I don't talk to a lot of people, but I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you. It's a joy to document it, buddy. And uh, we'll have you on again in the future. Yeah, when I have my own nonprofit to promote, we'll do that. But for <laughs> now, I'm only promoting where I work. If you want to donate to support children and veterans with disabilities and placing service dogs with those families for pause for 
say that one more time for the people. Fourpawsforability.org. That's the number four, pause, and then the word F-O-R, ability.org. Do you want to promote your own accounts? Uh, if you want to go to at Barks in Rec, that's B-A-R-K-S-N-R-E-C on Instagram or Facebook, there are pictures of all of our dogs with mumbo jumbo um that might make you cry i cried writing basically every single one <laughs> so they but you honestly probably will want to put me in a mental mental institution um for no tears today we held it together buddy i'm proud of you yeah i did cry i was thinking about what i was gonna say i did cry before i called um Okay. Yeah, you know, I held it together. I always cry when talking about Gertie, but I think I think what it is, is I have such fear of dead air. I have too much fear <laughs> of dead air. I can't be inhibition free. <laughs> like that part hey, of you will never leave. Yeah. I already killed four dogs. I can't have the air be dead too, man. So <laughs> hey, anything to keep it alive. Uh brother Chris, thank you very kindly. Still nice I love time. you, Pastor Jimbo. Folks, to hear this episode, as well as all others with the podcast, head over to linktree.com slash JBK on air. You can also follow me at JBK on air on all social media pages and also donate to the program to sustain future episodes with the link in the description. Until next time, have a great day and a better tomorrow.